0: The following podcast is set in a quarantine New York City. As such, some of the language and much of the content is intended for mature audiences. Consider yourself warned. a notorious Manifest Destiny addict, plans to build a one-man jet to get him across the continent and land him in the Sunshine State. Conrad, seeing the plan for what it is, refuses to support it, either in name or with resources. But as Raphael staggers away from the meeting, one's guess as to what he will do. Welcome back to New York City, population 107,363. This is the decline and fall of all y'all.
1: One day soon after my exchange with Raphael at Russia, I was in my office when a small stack of letters landed on my desk. They were bills and past due loan notices, which basically means a couple of loan shark goons got access to some stationery. At first, I thought it was a mistake, but upon further inspection, it became clearer. One bill was a massive invoice for gasoline, another for the rental of an old city bus destination JFK Airport which in and of itself was a strictly forbidden destination. There was even an invoice for mentee labor, which was basically slave labor. What they all had in common was Raphael. Somehow, our discussion at Russia had failed to land with him. Reaching out to some subterranean contacts, I discovered that he'd been using my name all over town co-signing me onto loans and fending off Lenape inquiries into his garage by claiming protection from my office. Clearly, a visit to Raphael's garage was in order. I went looking for my no-neck, and as was typical, he was a no-show. So I took off to Raphael's studio alone. The studio was on 18th Street, a wild area where trees sprouted out of cracks in the pavement and bittersweet vines covered buildings whole. Raphael's garage was a one-story concrete box fronted by a thick steel door that had just enough of a peephole to pivot the nozzle of a rifle. But when I arrived, the hangar door was open and the space glowed from the outside. Lacks of Klieg lights ran off gasoline generators, which alone must have cost a fortune. Resin and gas fumes wafted out. Even 10 feet from the entrance, the fumes were heavy. Inside, it was a permanent huff house of toxins. Cigarettes dangled out of the mouths of nearly all of Raphael's workers smoking steel workers, soldered control flaps on the wing, a pair of smoking engineers stood before a jet engine on a makeshift work table. I was only past the threshold and already I was dizzy and high with the fumes. Raphael was on the far side of the garage carrying a small wing under his arm. He treaded merrily between the steel scraps on the ground like one of the seven dwarfs. Let's say dopey for the moment. He was halfway across the floor when he spotted me dropped the wing, cut towards me with about as much caution as a steamroller, kicking over a bucket of paint. His eyes lit up and he wore a broad grin. That either meant he was a good actor or somehow he'd honestly believed that I'd agreed to back his fiasco.
2: Oh man, oh man, Conrad McGowan! at last, a visit from the man,
1: he announced. But fortunately, no one paid attention to him. Pulled me into a bear hug. I'm here on business, Raphael.
2: Of course you are. Man, come on back. and Let's get to it.
1: Naturally, he was doped up on MD and took off before I could stop him. I followed him to a small room in the back, which he called his version 1.0 cave. A gray fuselage sat atop three concrete block pillars. It wasn't much bigger than a car, and you had to wonder how Raphael would fit in the cockpit. He moved down the length of it, running his hand down the side affectionately. And his body at last came to a stop. His mouth did not.
2: Christ, it took us forever to get to JFK. Motherfucking, rusting traffic jam. We put the garbage truck first, used it as a battering ram. You can't drive the guanas. It's a pulmonary apocalypse jam. See the wing?
1: He pointed to a table where the wing sat.
2: Took it off a leer, cut a backup turbine, and siphoned off some more fuel.
1: I'd hear about these trips later. They were the stuff of legend and gave birth to a few urban myths, including the one about the cult that lived in the abandoned terminals at JFK and the crashed spaceship they came across in Carroll Gardens. Raphael walked to the front of the fuselage.
2: You're done here, Governor.
1: And there I was, in writing.
2: Patron, Governor McGowan.
1: Was painted in red enamel on the lower fuselage by the cockpit check it out. Raphael leaned into the cockpit.
2: The red button there is for ejection. We are concentrating on that, Marguerite.
1: He motioned to a middle-aged Hispanic woman with oil smudges on her face and a greasy blue cap and overalls.
2: Marguerite is making it work right. I've been governor. Tasted that for size. I got to find someone to fly this pe-
1: He stopped mid-sentence and jumped to the side, pulling me in front of him. Clearly he'd seen something and was now trying to hide which is pretty ridiculous when you consider how big the guy was.
2: Shit. The fucking loser Rockwell is here. The bastard's been stalking me all week.
1: He meant Rockwell Cody, the singer. They had once been good friends, and Motorsoft's I Also Like the Rain is supposedly Rockwell's ode to their lost friendship. Apparently, Raphael had been convinced for some time that Rockwell was stalking him. He moved out from behind me to the big room. Look in there. By the garage door. I stepped into the doorway and saw a man in a long camel hair coat, tinted glasses, and black leather gloves. This could have been a distant relative of Rockwell, but it was most certainly not him.
2: That's not Rockwell. Oh yes, Conrad. that's Rockwell look closely?
1: He was not, but I could understand why Raphael wasn't hot to be spotted by the Rockwell lookalike. The man was a loan shark looking for a lapsed payment.
2: I don't want to see that bastard. I'm going up to the roof for a break.
1: He went to the tool table, grabbed his mug, and made for the stairs. When he stopped to fill up his mug, I seized my chance and waved him away. No, you
2: go on up, and I'll get it for you. Good idea, man. He's bound to come back here looking for me.
1: I took his mug and reached for one of the coffee pots. There were two of them, a clear one that was unalloyed coffee and Raphael's red pot which was coffee laced with Manifest Destiny. I was reaching for the clear pot when Raphael's voice called out.
2: From the red pot, governor,
1: He said, pointing for emphasis.
2: The red pot. Okay, the red
1: pot. I waited until he was all the way up the stairs and pulled from the unalloyed al- coffee, climbed the stairs and found him sitting in the middle of the roof. He sat cross-legged, his head flung back, typical of him to be stargazing. He looked like he was waiting to be abducted. He had to wonder how he dealt with the day-to-day operations in his state, how he'd heard anything said to him. Most visionaries suffer in the hearing department, of course, and right now I needed him to hear me. Fortunately, I had an ally, a little pink pill called Sanity that had already snapped open into his mug. It's the most expensive of all the mole drugs. The single pill cost me a super rare picture disc vinyl of Molly Cruz's Shadow the Devil. Sanity brought nearly instant sobriety, no matter what other drug you were on. Duration depended on the amount of dope in the user's system, so I knew my time was short with Raphael. He'd come down to earth just to touch down for a moment. In that brief time, I'd have to reconnect a few of his wires, flick a few switches, and set him straight. I handed down the mug of coffee. He said, taking the mug. Thanks. He took a sip and made a face. Mm. He grunted.
2: Is this tastes a little strange.
1: I didn't say anything, just nodded. He took another sip.
2: Guess it's all right.
1: He said, took a gulp.
2: Fucking Rockwell. I also like the rain in my ass. Balls he has showing up here. I should have kicked him out.
1: This sounded promising. After all, getting agitated and taking offense is a large part of being sane. What followed, however, was much less encouraging. He looked up, and his eyes had that telling glaze. The flat screen of receiving visions. These celebrities are
2: all watchers, you know. Especially Raquel. They keep track of us and the chosen ones. They watch for the day when they can come back and pick us up to
1: experiment. Yes, sir. That's what it is. He'd almost finished with his mug of sanity, and he was talking about the chosen ones. Not good. I wondered if I'd been sold a counterfeit pill, and then Whoa. he brought up his hand to his forehead.
2: That was a potent mug.
1: He rubbed his forehead.
2: I don't feel so hot. But...
1: He untangled his legs from their cross position, laying them out before him. Christ. I moved around to stand in front of him.
2: What's up, Raphael?
1: Uh,
2: I don't know. I.
1: He kept rubbing his forehead.
2: I'm thinking about the turbine. I, I should be happy I have the turbine working right there. Only I'm not sure I can fly the fucker. Even if I get it up, it's going to be a bastard to fly. We put them three extra tanks for fuel, but... Uh, A spark in the wrong spot, and I'm sheesh man.
1: Indeed, the sanity was taking possession of him.
2: Besides which, I'm a go-to-land-fucker.
1: I decided to test him. Well,
2: that's what the uh, ejection seat is for.
1: He uttered a dark laugh and gave me a dismissive wave.
2: Absurd. It'll never work. Doesn't matter, though. I'll never get that far. I'll break up on the takeoff. can't see it. Here, look at this. Take a look at my navigation system.
1: He dug into his shirt pocket and pulled out a compass. He held it up and away from him by its string, as if it was a piece of dog shit.
2: Am I supposed to wear it around my neck? Let's see if I can read it with three G's holding me back in my seat. But oh my fucking god, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna blow up on takeoff.
1: I nodded. Skip the takeoff then. Just call off the flight right now. This suggestion won me a dark look. Raphael stood up and began to
2: pace. Sure, cancel the flight. Then what, live in disgrace? Repatriate my disgraced fathers? I can't pull out now. It's better to die trying than to pour out now.
1: Okay, so there are limits to sanity. The powerful drug's punch can always be alloyed by the chemical produced by the mind that goes by the name of pride. He was really in a bind. M.D. had written checks. He could not cash unless he wanted to cash out. It was amazing how well the sanity worked on him. He dropped from his euphoria like a rock. So fast, in fact, that he smelled a rat. He looked down at his empty mug on the roof, then at me. Say, what was in that mug, governor? I dug my hands deeper into my coat pockets. In the mug? I trailed off. Fuck it. I thought, he must know. I cleared my throat. Some sanity, maybe? You must bear in mind that dosing an addict with sanity was about the worst thing you could do to them. It's not sanity as you and I know it. It's a sanity that abuts euphoria with all that menacing consequences that team at the border. So I could hardly blame Raphael when he grabbed me by the collar and threw me down. His big hands pushed into my chest and he was over me. My head hung over the roof's edge, but I didn't believe he would hurt me, and that saved me from hurting myself with exertion, like a heart attack. He didn't look convinced himself, just pissed off. All the same, he moved a hand up to my windpipe and gave it a squeeze.
2: Oh Christ, why, why do you have to do that?
1: He was like a little boy, his eyes welling up with tears of rage.
2: Why do you do that to me, man?
1: I let out a strangled gasp. Get your hand off my windpipe, and I'll tell you. He eased up slightly, and I took a half breath. You were dose, big man, because there's no talking to you otherwise. We need to talk because you've been using my name all over town. I'm not backing this fiasco, but still, you use my name to open doors. Not cool, Raphael. Not cool at all. His eyes narrowed thanks to the sanity, my words were actually getting through. The realization of what he'd done crossed his face like sunlight moving across a field. He hefted me back up by my coat collar, brought me back onto the roof, and rolled backwards. He sat there like an unstrung marionette, his arms lying lifelessly by his side. Oh God,
2: oh God, I have, haven't I? Yes you have.
1: I said, rubbing my neck. You've already put me in a fucking spot. It's gotta stop, Raphael. Tonight. Promise me it's going to stop. His hand came up to cover his eyes, and his chest gave a shudder. He was choking up, trying not to cry. If you're smart, you'll cancel the flight. Sell some of that shit in the shop to the Junkers and get yourself on a sanity program. But there was no way he could ever afford a sanity program.
2: It's too late. The future has already been erected.
1: I stood back up.
2: Then good luck to you,
1: big man. Load up on MD and damn the torpedoes. Just don't bring me into the picture anymore. At the stairwell, I turned and took one last look at Raphael. A few hours later, he'd be all high on a few mugs of destiny dust again. Our meeting would probably strike him as a bad, mystical trip, the work of a demon trying to argue him out of his fate. But for now, he was all busted up, alive and painfully awake. I went down to the back room where the fuselage sat. I cracked open a can of gray enamel paint, grabbed a brush, and painted over the red, patron Governor McGowan. But the red paint wasn't dry and bled through the gray. I wiped my coat with a rag and tried to put on another layer. To no avail. It was a lost cause in a sea of lost causes. I moved through the front room, past the turbine, and the open buckets of toxins and the full ashtrays, and all the hard-working hands that were busy building Raphael's coffin. How absurd, I thought, but it wasn't. There was a design to Raphael's life, at least a purpose. He was like a cow on his side, feeding all these squatters, hungry to suckle for meaning. They were drawn to the ceremony, to creating the spectacle. And when everything was ready, a sacrifice would have to be made.
0: You have been listening to The Decline and Fall of All Y'all, written and scored by Norm Cody and read by James G. Berry. This podcast is an unlimited liability production. For more information, visit declineandfall.us, where you will also find the soundtrack for the book, recorded by the quarantine band, Motorsoft. You can also like us on Facebook, where we'll keep you posted on episodes and extras. We love New York City. Long live New York City.